Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to morning worship at Hillhead. Our service this morning is being led by our Minister Katrina. If you're visiting us today, you are especially welcome. And in particular, it's great to see Clifford's friends, uh, Janice and Drummond from Queen's Park Baptist here today. Um, I have to say they're not only friends of Clifford, but uh, Ian and Paul and Brian and I have known uh, Janice and Drummond for, I think, half our lives. So we are really delighted that you're here to support Clifford today as he joins Hillhead. Everything you need to follow the service will either be on the order of service you were given as you came in, or it will appear on the screen behind me. Thank you, Anne. For our call to worship this morning, I'm going to use some words from Baptist Praise and Worship book at number 78. Um, If you want to follow it, you can, but there's no requirement to do so. This is the time to worship God who brings us life. This is the time to sing God's praise who gives us joy. This is the time to pray to God who brings us forgiveness and renewal. This is a time to hear God's work, sorry, God's word, which brings us guidance and hope. This is the time to show our love for God, who brings us love beyond our deserving. Our opening hymn of worship is number 12 in the hymn book, and Windows 10 permitting, and PowerPoint permitting, will also appear on the screen behind me. Please stand if you can as we join together to sing. Jesus calls us here to meet him.
And so we come to God in prayer. I will lead us in a fairly short prayer. And after that, we will join together in the words of the Lord's Prayer. And you are invited to pray that in whatever is the most natural version and the most natural language for you. Because this is a universal prayer, not a 21st century English language prayer. So let's pray together. Jesus, you call us here to meet you, and so we come. We come to offer our praise and thanksgiving, marvelling at the beauty of the natural world. Leaves changing colour and fluttering to the ground. Squirrels gathering nuts and children collecting conkers. The first frosts, early morning mists and a nip in the air. We are grateful for this autumn season. Jesus, you call us to each other, vastly different though we are. We come to worship together, delighting in our own uniqueness. No two fingerprints the same. Each with our own unique smile. Silver or coloured hair, curly or straight. Skin creased by age or baby soft. We are grateful for each person here this morning. Jesus, you call us to witness and to serve in a challenging world. And so we come now sharing in the word you gave your followers when they were bewildered as how best to pray. And so we join our, verse, our voices in our first languages and familiar words as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Last week we celebrated with Bonnie and Anifa and Neil, and today we celebrate with Clifford. Clifford, would you like to come and join me out at the front? I'll tell you what, I'll even give you a microphone so when you get to your bits, we can all hear you. Okay, but I've got a few bits first. We use a standard form of words here in Hillhead when we welcome people into membership in the same way as we use a standard form of words when we bless children. And this is because we recognise that we are all equal in the sight of God, that nobody is more or less important. So there is something good about that consistency. At the same time, everybody is unique, everybody is special, and we like also to recognise that in some way. Uh, as we go along. So it's really great, that Clifford, you've been able to bring your friends along, Janice and Drummond, to, to celebrate with you this morning. And you'll be able to take our greetings back to QP after today. There will be a bit uh, partway through that uh, those who, for whom this is your regular place of worship are invited to join in with. Those words are on the sheet and they will also appear on the screen when we get to them. In the name of our loving God, it is our joy to welcome Clifford into membership of this church. He has been a disciple of Christ for many years and is committed to service in this community. Today we acknowledge and thank God for that commitment. And so Clifford, I'm going to ask you some questions. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit? your creator and redeemer, and the sustainer of all things. I do. This is the God in whom I trust. Do you believe that God has led you to share in the worship, life, and witness of this local congregation? I do, and I thank God for the gift of fellowship. Will you share with us the gifts that God has given you, so that together we may serve God in our local community, and in the wider world. I will. All I have to is given by God. As Baptist Christians, we covenant together as a community of disciples of Jesus Christ. Baptised into his name, we share the joys and responsibilities of fellowship. We gather for worship and to discern the mind of Christ. Together, we seek the kingdom of God through prayer, witness and service. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we seek to build up one another in love. Clifford, will you share with us in this common life and service? And will you walk together with us before God in ways that are known and are yet to be made known? I will. Thanks be to God. So we've heard Clifford make his promises And those for whom this is your normal place of worship or your normal place of worship when you are in this country, if you are able, I'd like to invite you now to stand and make your promises to support Clifford within this particular community of faith. Do you welcome Clifford into the fellowship of this worshipping community? We do. This is our joy and our calling. God has given us the gift of Clifford and through him has given us gifts for ministry in the life and witness of this congregation. Will you support him in Christian service 
and in the responsibilities of church membership. We will. Thanks be to God. Will you pray for and encourage him through hospitality, friendship and prayer? We will, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. You can sit down now. And I'm going to invite Anne as church secretary to come and formally give you the right hand of Welsh friendship and probably a holy hug as well. And can we show our our delight? So that's it, Clifford. You can now vote at church meetings. But much more than voting at church meetings, it means that we have committed to support you and care for you as you have committed to play your part in this fellowship here. And that's a challenge for all of us to take forward. Um, One of my habits when we welcome a new member is to invite them if they would like to choose a hymn or a song for us to sing. And Clifford has chosen number 121 in the hymn book for the beauty of the earth. Um, Paul and I were having a quick conflab before the service because we realised that between us we know at least three and probably more tunes to this. So I hope you enjoy the tune that we've chosen, Clifford, and I hope we will all enjoy praising God together in this hymn.
Our first reading today is uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse, uh, uh, at verse 12. Christ is like a single body, which has many parts. It is still one body, even though it is made up of different parts. In the same way, all of us, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether slaves or free, have been baptised into the one body by the same Spirit, and we have all been given the one Spirit to drink. For the body itself is not made up of only one part, but of many parts. If the foot were to say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not keep it from being a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not keep it from being a part of the body. If the whole body were just an eye, how could it hear? And if it were only an ear, how could it smell? As it is, however, God put every different part in the body just as he wanted it to be. There would not be a body if it were all only one part. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So then the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor can the head say to the feet, well, I don't need you. On the contrary, we cannot do without the parts of the body that seem to be weaker, and those parts that we think aren't worth very much are the ones which we treat with greater care, while the parts of the body which don't look very nice are treated with special modesty, which the more beautiful parts do not need. God himself has put the body together in such a way as to give greater honour to those parts that need it. And so there is no division in the body, but all its different parts have the same concern for one another. If one part of the body suffers, all the other parts suffer with it. If one part is praised, all the other parts share its happiness. All of you are Christ's body, and each one is a part of it. Our second reading is from Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. A teacher of the law came up and tried to trap Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus answered him, what do, you, what do the scriptures say? How do you interpret them? The man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as you love yourself. You are right, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But the teacher of the law wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbour? Jesus answered, There was once a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when robbers attacked him, stripped him, and beat him up leaving him half dead. It so happened that a priest was going down that road, but when he saw the man, he walked by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite also came along, went over and looked at the man, and then walked on by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was travelling that way came upon the man, and when he saw him, his heart was filled with pity. He went over to him, poured oil and wine on his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own animal and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Take care of him, he told the innkeeper, and when I come back this way, 
I will pay you whatever else you spend on him. And Jesus concluded, In your opinion, which of these three acted like a neighbour towards the man attacked by the robbers? The teacher of the law answered him, The one who was kind to him. Jesus replied, You go then and do the same. Every time that we have the joy of welcoming someone into covenanted membership here at Hillhead, I find myself drawn back again to the Apostle Paul's metaphor that equates the church to a human body. A metaphor that stresses the essential diversity between and interdependence of the various members. So I'm sure it's no surprise that that reading from 1 Corinthians 12 was one that I chose for today. But in the last couple of weeks, I've had a growing sense of unease as I began to reflect on that passage. Largely, I think, because it would be very easy to be totally introspective, to look inwards at our little community of believers, when every day we learn more and more about the plight of Syrian refugees fleeing into various parts of Europe. And perhaps this current crisis illustrates in a particularly acute way the challenge that will always exist for us of holding together our faith and our deeds. The tension that is always present between those things which we deem to be overtly spiritual and those which are overtly practical. You know fine well that my favourite verse in the whole Bible comes from James that says, faith without deeds is dead. And my whole life is spent trying to work out what on earth that means. But it is for this reason, because of this tension, because of what I've been hearing and seeing in the news, and because of the countless references I've um, heard, seen online to this, that I've also chosen to use the parable of the Good Samaritan. I've seen lots of people retelling that online and those that came to the theological reflection group on Monday, we used a couple of those retellings. So I'm not sure this is going to be the most coherent sermon I've ever preached, but I'm trying to hold these things together and just spark some thoughts for all of us. Um, Hopefully not too much guilt, but if we have a bit of guilt and then work through it, I think that's okay. Just over a week ago, a Baptist minister serving in the south of England and who has been to see the Calais to Calais to visit the so-called jungle refugee camp for herself issued a challenge 
to churches within the Baptist Union of Great Britain to offer to provide 10,000 bed spaces for refugees, noting that this would amount to five per church. Now, Juliet is not the least bit naive. This is not a romanticised ideal. She has done her research. She knows which agencies to liaise with, and she knows what the likely implications would be for anyone choosing to house a refugee for a minimum period of a year, whilst an asylum application will be processed. And when I first saw that challenge, I was very moved. Firstly, I was inspired, and then the guilt set in, because even though I've got two spare rooms in the manse, I kind of felt that this wasn't something I could do. It felt like I ought to want to, that I should put my money where my mouth is, but somehow, mm, just didn't feel like I could. So I've kept watch, and there's been updates every day. In fact, there was an update just last night on this particular um, initiative, and there are offers as of last night to host 300 refugees in Baptist churches in Britain. It's extended a little bit beyond the Baptist Union of Great Britain because of the channels through which it's been advertised. So that includes a small number both in the Baptist Union of Scotland and the Baptist Union of Wales. Now, you could look at that and say 300 out of 10,000. Well, that's just a drop in the ocean, isn't it? It's around about just over a tenth of a refugee per church. You could be demoralised. Or you could be encouraged and say, do you know what, that's fantastic. That's 300 people who are going to be offered a home by Baptist Christians. And 300 people is still 300 people. Somehow there's a tension to be held together. And as I've tried to work with my feelings and my reactions, it seems to me that there is some interplay between the challenge of the Good Samaritan story and Paul's metaphor of the church as Christ's body. One of the insoluble conundrums of Paul's body metaphor is how you're meant to hear it. In the literary context, and usually in preaching, we take it as the local church. And that's good because that rightly stresses the importance of each person, the unique, valuable and essential contribution they bring. And on a day like today, when Clifford has made his covenant with us and us with him, we need to remind ourselves of that reading of the passage, that we're all in it together. But the passage could and sometimes is read more generally. Seeing the body of Christ as actually referring to the worldwide church in all its diverse expression and potentially forwards and backwards through the whole of history. Diversity of culture, diversity of language, of theological understanding, of style of worship, of emphasis and mission and so on. And yet all still one. And when I reflect on the metaphor, I think always the same thing. But actually, it works at both levels. And that's part of the mystery and majesty of this metaphor. That the local congregation is a full expression of the body of Christ in the place in which it is located. And yet the universal church is the body of Christ on earth. But today I want to ponder whether there's a kind of a middle view. 
one that I've never actually seen anybody write about in a commentary because it kind of didn't exist in Bible times. And that is to wonder whether denominations, unions, communions, connections, conventions, whatever they call themselves, are also in some way the body of Christ. And if so, what that might mean for us as a Baptist church in this specific place and this time. There are many Baptist unions on these islands. We think we know them all, but we probably don't. As well as the Baptist Union of Scotland, the Baptist Union of Great Britain and the Baptist Union in Wales, there is the Grace Baptist Union and the Old Baptist Union and probably a whole load more I don't even know about. But all Baptist unions talk about covenant, it's language they use, about mutual commitment, about unity and diversity, and that all sounds great. It's really difficult in practice because Baptist autonomy so easily slides into isolation and independence into disdain for that which is not like us. Probably that's true in other traditions as well, but it's the Baptist tradition that I know and understand best. But what would it mean, or what might it mean, if we could hear Paul's words as spoken to the Baptist Union of Scotland, or Great Britain, or Wales, or whatever, or to the Fellowship of British and Irish Baptists, to which all of those unions belong, to say that you, Baptist unions, Baptist Christians, are the body of Christ, and each of you has a part within it. Or, if you prefer to think ecumenically, to hear it as spoken to Action for Churches Together in Scotland, or to the Council of Churches Together in Britain and Ireland, to say, you are the body of Christ, and each of you has a part within it. If we can recognise ourselves within a larger, more diverse whole, I wonder if we find a way not to feel guilty about what we cannot do or be, but not just finding a nice, tidy get-out for what we want to avoid or evade. Might it be that by being more intentionally relational, which is a little Baptist Union of Scotland buzz phrase, with other congregations, whether they're Baptist or ecumenical, that we discover a better sense of who we are within the body and how that what we do serves a greater good than just blithely going our own sweet way. As this Paul read for us, Bible Paul says, if the foot were to say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, but that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body was an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body was hearing, where would the sense of smell be? There isn't a hierarchy in the body. It's not a case that seeing is intrinsically better or more important than hearing, or that being a foot is less than being a hand. There are different and equally valid and equally important roles to be fulfilled. No local church can do everything. Yet every local church can and should do something. And it operates the same within the churches too. No individual or single family can do everything. But each one can and should do something. 
So I think that Paul's metaphor can operate at a kind of denominational kind of a level. Just as hands, feet, eyes, noses, brains and bowels all have their place within the human body and none of them can fulfill its purpose outside of that, so it is with churches. The reality is that some churches, or at least some individuals within some churches, can and will offer homes to refugee families. And they need to be supported by the wider fellowship within their own church and the fellowship of churches. Uh, This week, in fact, I think it was either Friday or yesterday, the Baptist Union of Great Britain president, Lynn Green, put out a statement uh, about a response being coordinated via Citizen UK or in conjunction with Citizen UK, which is a secular organisation that works ecumenically, multi-faith and multi-agency. If you have a chance to look on the Baptist Union of Great Britain website, it's worth a read, recognising how all the churches have a role to play within that. One of the things I've realised this week is that the response of one English Baptist minister who called Baptists to host refugees is not the only valid response to that situation, whilst it is a very, very important one, and nor is it intrinsically the best one. For some people and some churches, that will be their role. But for others, it won't be, and that's okay. But it's only okay so long as that doesn't allow us to just go, it's okay, we don't have to do anything at all then. If the whole denomination focused on refugees and asylum seekers, where would be the care for the indigenous poor? The people in Glasgow who go to to bed at night hungry, can't afford to put on the gas, choose between clothing their children or eating. If every Baptist church ran only toddler groups, where would there be the care for frail elderly people for whom social isolation can be a really huge problem? Or if the whole denomination championed uh, campaigns on about defence or environmental issues, where would there be the hospital chaplains, the workplace chaplains, and yes, the military chaplains? I'm not saying that each local congregation should choose one thing and focus only on that, because that would be back to that ludicrous image of the body as a gigantic eye or an oversized nose or an enormous foot. But what it does allow us to do is to say, this is what God has called us to do and to be. And that's okay. And that is what God has called that church to do. And that's okay too. Now that's not without its own challenges. Because we have to be very careful, don't we, to say, are we discerning what God is saying to us? Or are we just praying in our own preferences or the convenient answers that let us feel satisfied? But also, if we go back to that denominational level, it means we need to be actively engaged with the Baptist Union and other Baptist churches in this area, and also to think ecumenically, to be engaged with the other other churches or other traditions in this area, and a humanitarian level, engaging with people beyond simply those who are Christian, those of other faiths and none. We need to be supporting and encouraging each other, not duplicating effort, not missing opportunities. And that is not easy, 
it's really not. I don't think this is the answer to the world's problems. It's just my kind of thoughts. But there is something else, I think, that comes from this sense of interconnectedness with the wider church. If we genuinely discern that we are not the ones to do the radical, arguably prophetic thing, then we mustn't do nothing. Because there is still plenty we can do. And I know that plenty of people in this church are already doing. And as we've already heard, the toddler group that meets on a Friday is about to do. We can petition or lobby politicians and parliaments. We can give money to appeal. Um, We have the opportunity after the church meeting to do that if we feel so led. We can collect, sort or distribute clothing, tents or toys. We can attend rallies and vigils. And of course, and it is no less important, and it isn't a cop-out, we can pray. Perhaps we can hear the apostle saying to us as a local church, don't get hung up on what you can't do, but get on and do what you can do, and do that in an intentional way, recognizing your connectedness to other members of the worldwide body of Christ. And so what about this Good Samaritan story? It's a really curious tale that reminds us of the value of one-to-one human interactions and the danger of hiding behind pious platitudes. Patching up the injured man wasn't going to solve the problem of attacks on the Jericho Road. And the likelihood was that unless somebody identified and addressed the root cause, there would be a steady stream of injured men left at the roadside. And not always sufficiently fortunate to be noticed, never mind helped. If we were to elaborate on the story, we might come up with some long-term solutions and find others who, who could take on that challenge. But the point of the story is not about that big picture root cause stuff. It's about that present moment when the Samaritan recognized his shared humanity with the injured man. He couldn't fix the whole problem, but he could do something that affected one person. We haven't got time to explore that, and perhaps you'd have rather explored that than the other, but there we go. And there aren't any tidy answers. The reality is we need long-term and short-term approaches to complicated issues. There need to be the small-scale humanitarian actions, the one-to-ones, and the large social and political changes. And maybe the mystery is that these are actually intertwined. That in the end, it has to come down to individuals recognising their shared humanity and playing their part, whatever it be, for the good of the whole body, not just of the church, but for all of life. I want to finish up by sharing a poem which is attributed in its original form to a 16th century Carmelite nun called Teresa of Avila. That is the way when you research things you discover that they might not be written by who they're attributed to, but there you go. Whether it is the one-to-one practical support of the Samaritan or whether it's large-scale political and social engagement, whether it's the mysterious image of a local congregation as the body of Christ, 
or the global church or the denominations in between, I think it still holds good. This is what it says. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Christ has no body now on earth but ours. So the question I leave you with is, how do we respond? Way back in the 1970s, when I was at school, we learned this song. There is something about songs written for children that often carries something we lose in songs written for adults. It doesn't get too hung up about clever ideas or beautiful language. It just gets down to the basics. And this is based partly on Matthew 25 um, and the story of the the sheep and the goats, but it also resonates with the story of the Good Samaritan. When I needed a neighbour, were you there?
So now we come to God with our prayers for others and within them our prayers for each other. So let's pray together. Loving God, as we look at huge, complex international situations, we can find ourselves paralysed by their enormity. And as we see heartbreaking images of starving, displaced or drowned children, we wonder what on earth we can do. Perhaps some of us even wonder where you are and what you are doing. Then we remember that we are your hands and feet, your ears and eyes, your heart and mind. That your spirit wisdom prompts and enables us to do and to be your agents in the here and now. And so we come to you with our prayers, muddled and imperfect and yet as honest as we can muster. We pray for Clifford, having pledged to support and encourage him as he fulfills his unique role within our local church. And we pray for Anita, Neil and Bonnie, to whom we made similar promises just last week. Amidst all the busyness of our own lives and amidst the rhythm of church life, help us to fulfil these promises in the months and years ahead with all the demands that that may mean. We pray for those in our fellowship who at this time are ill or in pain. Some living with anxiety and uncertainty. Others adjusting to changed personal circumstances. As we name them and others known only to us in the quietness of our hearts, help us to translate our prayers into lived expression. Whether that's practical support, sending a card or an email, squeezing a hand or putting an arm around a shoulder or coming alongside for a season. We pray for those who meet in our premises during the week, who value our hospitality and contribute to our finances and yet of whom we are largely unaware for those who exercise their bodies or minds, for those who find support and a safe space to meet, for children who come to play and for musicians who make music. All these people are known to you and each has their own story, some joyful and others sorrowful. Show us how we can demonstrate your love to them. We pray for the other congregations in this west end of Glasgow, each with their own unique contribution to make the witness and work of the wider church in style, 
in theology, in outreach, evangelism and mission. Part of one body, these are our siblings in Christ. And if they hurt, then we too are hurt. And so today, we pray especially for the members of Partick Baptist Church, now closed, that they will find new spiritual homes where they can be accepted and loved and continue to play their part within your body. We also pray for Queen's Park Baptist Church, thanking you for the part that they have played in Clifford's life and asking you to bless them in their future work and service. And we pray for the wider world, so many people and places, and each of us moved to respond in different ways, each of us touched by different stories, and each of us called to be your body in some particular context. And so in the silence, we bring to you now those places and people that are on our hearts and minds, asking you to show us how we may fulfill your call on our lives towards them. Loving God who sees and knows every life on this planet and cares for each one with an everlasting love. Accept our
things we haven't done for a long time is to bless each other and then bless the world around us, but it seemed like the right thing to do today. And the way we do that is we share the words of the grace with each other, and we say with us, evermore, and we look around, we keep our eyes open, and when we get to the end of that, we turn around and face the walls and pray that blessing on the city, on the nation, and on the whole of God's creation. So... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. And now to the world. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.